Welcome to another episode of Before You Kill Yourself with your host, Leo Flowers. I am Leo Flowers. Uh, let's, take a, let's take a pause for a second. Let's all take a deep breath. Feel where your feet are or is or both. And joining me today, we have a filmmaker, producer, and now she is teaching yoga nidra. She has a new book called Radiant Rest, uh, Tracy Stanley. Welcome, Tracy Stanley. Thank you, Leo. Thank you for having me. <laughs> uh, I'm super excited to have you on because I just discovered yoga nidra and I often listen to it before I go to bed at night. I, it's different than anything else. I listen to yoga nidra meditations. It's so soothing. Can you talk to us about why it's so impactful and, and soothing for us? Yeah, absolutely. So first, maybe let's define yoga nidra. Yoga nidra is um, often translated as the yoga of sleep, right? But it is this idea of sleep with consciousness threading through it. And it's really accessible and really impactful because it's done lying down in a supportive position that very much resembles sleep, but there's much more kind of going on as you're doing this. So most of the time you're listening to an audio and you're being guided uh, by somebody's voice to systematically relax the body. And so one of the first things that we actually get to notice is how, what is the resistance that actually shows up when we're asked to relax or we're asked to surrender or asked to let go? Um, there's usually so much that we're holding on to, whether it is things that happen to us in this lifetime, things that happen to us today, things that happen to our ancestors, that we're holding it. And we need a place, we need a refuge, we need a safe and brave space for us to be able to release. And you know, the beginning stages of yoga nidra practice, which are really more deep relaxation, actually help us to explore that. And for me, I first really started to realize, okay, well, what is my relationship with the earth beneath what is my relationship with this trust of the ground underneath me? Now, depending where you live, there could be different relationships with that earth, right? I don't know where you live, but I used to live in LA. And so it's like, we have to really understand this idea of trust and knowing that we are really worthy of unconditional support. And a lot of times, we may not get that support from people around us, but there is something in the universe that is holding us unconditionally. And we can call that many things. You can call it source. You can call it God. You can call it goddess. You can call it mother earth, nature. And so yoga nidra really allows us to cultivate a relationship with that which holds us and then allows us to expand our capacity to be held. So that's first. On, a, on another level, you know, you said that you use it um, as a practice prior to going to sleep. 
because that consciousness is kind of weaving through all of the states of waking, dreaming, deep sleep, and even another fourth state that's said to be this place that is bliss beyond words. When you do the practice, you begin to notice all the transitions between those states of consciousness, as well as some of the states of sleep. So Yoga Nidra is said to bring us into a place of NREM sleep, which is kind of the place where we get the most restorative sleep in a very short period of time. So I have never seen this actually um, proven in a research study, but they say that if you practice 20 to 30 minutes of Yoga Nidra, it can have the same effect of having slept for four hours, right? For three or four hours. And so that's what people really report is that when they do these practices, they feel so rested, like they had a really good night's sleep. And it also helps people who have trouble sleeping to recognize the moment when the body is about to fall asleep and to kind of make that conscious choice to let go into sleeping. Um, so it's an impactful practice, not only for our health, for our immune system, uh, for us to be able to regulate our nervous system and stay in that parasympathetic rest and digest mode for some period of time intentionally. But it also has this like power that comes back with it when you are awakened in your daily life that allows you to be more aware, more clear, more productive because you're rested and you're clear and you're not confused and foggy. Um, so that's the long answer <laughs> to tell you why I think it's really impactful. I love that. And thank you for the long answer. Uh, oftentimes, you're right that the first thing I, you mentioned was that the, the, you notice what resistance comes up for you and uh, where you feel stuck. And oftentimes, um, and, and tell me like your thoughts on this. There's some times where I'll actually stop in the middle of my meditation and write down some of the things that comes up for me. Uh, I think one of the sticking points for a lot of people is that they want to make sure they do it right. Um, is there like a right and wrong way or is it really about making it your own? And, and what do you think about stopping and, and taking notes in the middle of your meditation to, to jot down what comes up for you? That's a really great question. Um, so I'm a really big believer in practicing free writing after practice, because that is the time when at least for me, when epiphanies or inspiration or creativity kind of descends almost seemingly out of nowhere, because it's almost like when we meditate or when we practice uh, practices like yoga nidra, we create spaciousness. And in that spaciousness, not only in our mind, but in our energetic body, that we actually get to touch into our source. And our source has all this information and all this wisdom. So absolutely, I think the practices are meant for us to touch into that creativity and inspiration. The problem is, is that we're so busy trying to do and get things done that the minute the meditation is over, we're usually running to the next thing and we actually forget 
all of the wisdom that came with it. So if you're listening and you're like, hey, I'm noticing that I have to learn the same lessons over and over and over again with different people, different jobs, different things, start meditating and writing down what you hear, what you feel, what you experience, what you're inspired by, because it helps you to learn this practice, which is a practice of remembering. And when we remember, because we take a pause to remember and we intentionally remember and savor the lessons, you don't have to learn the same things over and over and over again. So it's a really powerful practice to jot down or, you know, uh, and I do think that writing is the best way to kind of have it process in the body. Um, and then to your other question about doing it right, there is no such thing as doing it wrong, right? We are all deeply individual. We're going to have different experiences. And so a lot of times, um, you know, teachers can kind of overlay a disciplinarian kind of thing about how to practice and what the effects of the practice are. And that to me creates a little bit of an anxiety when you're first beginning practicing yoga because, or any, or meditation or yoga nidra, because the question is, am I doing it right? I must be doing it wrong. Especially if you have a narrative that's running in your mind as a thought construct that I never do anything right. I can't get it right. That's always going to come up then when you're in your practice. So as long as you're breathing, and as long as you are aware of your breathing, and as long as you also know that even the most quote-unquote masterful meditators, their minds drift off, they fall asleep, they, they think about their you know, laundry list, and then they come back to the, to the breath, just know that that also happens. And so it's just go ahead and let your mind relax and go somewhere and then remember to bring it back. Um, there's no perfect. You know, if you were perfect, you would not be, you probably wouldn't uh, be here. You'd be in a cave somewhere and people would be bringing you food three times a day and you'd just stay there. <laughs> so, Th Thank you for uh, sharing that. I, I love that, that there is no wrong. We, yeah, we're always thinking about the right, but that idea that there is no wrong way to do it. There are no rules. You know, I just read somewhere that somebody was like, there are no rules, there are no points. Um, it's just practice. I was telling a friend the other day, he was like, you know, uh, how did I, he asked me, uh, like, how did I get better? He's like, what did you do to get better today? And, uh, and I focus, like, I, I don't focus on getting better. I just focus on like, did I practice today? Did I practice yoga nidra? Did I practice meditation? So I love that you're using that word practice. Um, my follow-up question, because you, you talked about what are we holding on to from our ancestors, from our history? Uh, can you speak more to that and, and how that can show up in, in how we're, we're moving in our day-to-day -day life? Yeah, I mean, the, the most general example that I can give is that, you know, we can be in this restful position we're excited because we're going to get to for half an hour and we 
get into our yoga nidra nest and we're all comfy and ready. And then the teacher starts to give the instructions. And as they give the instructions, you start to notice that, oh, my body is actually pretty tense, like in places that I didn't even realize. And so let me go ahead and relax those places. And then there's something that you realize like, oh, maybe I don't actually feel safe to relax. Like there's something in me that's saying it's not safe to really relax. I, I can pretend kind of like I'm relaxing, but I'm still have one eye open. And then there comes this, you know, kind of process of self-inquiry where you have to inquire into why. And I have many students who have said, you know, I feel this fear or I feel this pain or I feel or I've seen this memory that comes up that isn't mine. I don't know where it's where it comes from. And if we think about our ancestors, um, especially those of us who are in black or brown bodies, you know, it wasn't and isn't still safe to rest. There, there was a time, you know, hundreds of years ago where your life depended on you working. And if you were resting, you, you might've been beaten or killed. So there wasn't this opportunity to rest. And so that is carried in the cells there, you know, and it doesn't matter whether you come from a native American background or your, you had relatives that were in the Holocaust. Um, you were in, you know, Ireland, it, there's, we all have some sort of trauma from our ancestors. And, you know, now they're starting to prove scientifically that through the science of epigenetics, that this trauma is passed down. So if this trauma lives in our DNA, it makes sense that once we start to create that spaciousness and practice, that we may become aware of it, but we also have an opportunity to perhaps heal it. Because this is, you know, especially with practices like meditation and yoga nidra, they are the practices of revealing what has been hidden. And a lot of times we don't have the opportunity to heal something unless we actually know it's there. Tracy, that's so beautiful. It's the practice of revealing what has been hidden. Um, and it's a great reminder because a lot of times we think that we um, need some type of external validation for what's happening. But if we sit with ourselves long enough, we can reveal what has been hidden. Um, earlier, you talked about, you know, feeling worthy of unconditional support. W what is that? Can you tell me more about that unconditional support and, and what that looks like? Because I, I think that we live in a, in a world where people are so focused on being independent and pulling themselves up by the bootstrap and um, not needing anyone. Uh, however, I, I, I do recognize the interdependence that is required to actually move through the, the earth. When, when you talk about unconditional support, can you tell me more about that? Yes. And, you know, it also, 
I would need to, to answer that. I need to kind of pull on a thread that we just talked about was this idea of revealing what's hidden. So on the one hand, the revealing what's hidden is revealing the, the, the things that are hidden that require healing and are ready to be healed. And on the other hand, revealing what's hidden is our inner light, is this light that is eternal, that is talked about in the Yoga Sutras. It's said that we all have this inner light at the heart center that is this place that is beyond all sorrow. It's beyond all conditioning, all external circumstances. It can never be diminished. And so the, the true reason why we can practice and where can lead us is to being able to touch that inner light and that inner knowing, right? That there's the part of us that is eternal, that was there before we had a name, and it will be there when we no longer have a body. And it is the true essence of who and what we really are. And when we touch into that place, we also know that this is an effulgent, radiant, powerful place that is always supported. And so we can talk about that on kind of like, you know, a level of spirituality. But then when we think about bringing that down into like our practical world, what does that look like? That looks like us asking, is it really helping me to thrive, to try to do it alone? I don't believe that there's any one person on this earth who is thriving or has thrived, who did anything by themselves. I would love to know who they are if they did, because it's, it really requires us to be in relationship in order to be able to be supported. And that relationship can be relationship with source, relationship with your, you know, God, goddess, all that is, whatever you want to call that, that source of, you know, spring eternal of power and wisdom. And then the community of people who are your sangha, we would say like like-minded people, the people who are rooting for you, the people who inspire you, the people who you inspire, the people who are your collaborators. I mean, for me personally, what I see in this time now that we're in at the moment, I believe that this is a time of collaboration and community. And the fact that we have been in a space or in a mindset that I can do it alone, I don't need community, I don't want to have the responsibility of other people, I don't want to collaborate, I want to compete, those are the very kind of ideals that have left us in a place that is devoid of understanding how we are all connected. And it's our connection to, uh, this is my personal opinion, it's our connection to everything that allows us to thrive. If you're disconnected from the earth and from nature, eventually you're going to sit there and go, well, I don't understand why there's these wildfires all the time. I don't understand why it's 20 degrees hotter than it was, you know, however many years ago. So we, we have to stay in connection because when we are in connection, we, we get to see 
truth reflected back to us. We get to have people, I mean, you know, you're a comedian, right? What happens after every set? After every set, what happens? The comics go backstage and they sit around and talk about the set and all the jokes and what jokes happen. And it's like the reliving of the thing all over again, right? But that's, and, and, it's, and, and it's great because you get to learn. You have your cohort, you have your sangha, you have your community reflecting back to you, not only your worthiness, not only what worked, what didn't work, but their joy in, in, in your being in this world. It's, it, and it doesn't matter if you're the only one up on stage at the moment. Every one of your cohorts that, or your guys or your gals or whoever they are that are standing there waiting to go or whoever has already gone and done their set, they don't go and leave. They stay because it's a community and that support. You know that those people are out there watching you and rooting for you. Maybe there's one that's competing with you. But for the most part, they're there holding you. They're holding you. That's community. I, I love that. The collaboration and community uh, over competition uh, or instead of competition. And, and you're right. Uh, you do feel held when uh, they want to collaborate with you and have ideas for what worked and what didn't work. And, you know, cause earlier you mentioned like how, you know, being able to sit with yourself and how yoga nidra expands our ability to be held. Um, and that's so important because there's a, a emotional holding that you feel from others. There's that emotional hug. And then there, there's also that physical hug because I know so many people because of traumas or whatever, um, past experiences that they've had have a hard time with touch and you know they, so they can't even go get a massage or reiki or acupuncture or you know to have someone uh stretch with them can you speak more to how yoga nidra helps and expands our ability to be held and and in what different forms being held takes place yeah, absolutely. I mean, in Yoga Nidra, um, no one is touching you. That's first. Two is, is that there are many different uh, ways in which you can experience the practice. So some, for some people, it feels vulnerable to lie down on your back. And so for those people, and also if you have any back issues, right, or if you're someone who snores or coughs, if you lay down flat, you can go and do this practice in a reclined position. You can do the practice facing the door. You can do the practice with your pet with you in the room, right? So it's like you said before, you can make these practices your own. You find the place that you feel most comfortable and most safe. And that's how you prop up your body. That's the place where you do your practice. So that's like number one. Um, and then, you know, what I would say is there's this idea of energetic holding, right? Is that 
we, the more we practice, the more we begin to become sensitive to what is called prana or vital life force. It's like our own life energy. And that life energy actually extends beyond our physical body. So we can think about it almost like an energetic cocoon. And that itself is a holding. We have an energetic field around us that is a holding. And so the more we practice, the more we become aware of that energy and the energy system that is the subtle body, right? And the other thing is, again, back to nature, is forming a relationship with Mother Earth to understand that she can hold you. And really letting that be perhaps one of your first relationships with touch, because we're all being touched by the Whether we're laying on the earth or whether we're walking on the earth, we're all being touched by the earth. And so working, yeah. No, no, go ahead. Um, It brings to mind, I see people hugging trees. You know, it's it's, uh, it's a large part of uh, Eastern culture. I see a lot of Asians. It's called tree hugging. Um, And I saw it and I was like, what is that? And then I did it. And at first you feel weird and like, I hope nobody sees me doing this. And then there's a moment where you just surrender and you give in. And it feels like the tree is hugging you back. Um, Have you experienced that? I see you nodding your head. Yes, I've experienced that. I have um, my, my old house. I had a huge tree that was my tree hugging tree. Um, And I've done that in the forest. And yes, so there, there's an entire um, system uh, practice called that I think it began in Japan um, that's called forest um, bathing, actually, where people go to the forest and allow themselves to bathe in, and I'm not an expert in this at any means. So if anybody is like a master of forest bather, forgive my interpretation of the practice, but it's like you're bathing in the energy of nature which is rejuvenative and is holding and is literally unconditional. Because when you go in to hug that tree, that tree is supporting you. That tree is holding you. That tree is not, is, is not asking you for anything in return. Now, as an offer of gratitude, we should be able to, because we have this kind of extractive culture where we, we take something and we don't give anything back but we can give a prayer back to the earth. We can give an offering of water. We can give an offering of seeds or something back to the earth, right? So the holding is a physical holding that does not need to be the holding of a person. It needs to be something or should be, I think, something that we develop a relationship with as far as what are the ways that I can be held? And that's a real question. That's like, for those people listening, is just sitting with yourself for a moment and say, what are the ways that I can be held? And the next question is, 
what are the ways that I resist being held? How do I push away support? How do I reject support? How do I say, oh, no, 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 I can myself. I don't need anything. I mean, we've all had those people in our families or those people in our friend circles who always have a mound of things to do. And they always say, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. I'm so tired. I'm so exhausted. And when they are offered support, they reject the support. So if that's you, ask yourself why. What are you getting out of rejecting support, rejecting being held? And I'm not talking about the physical touch. I'm, being, I'm talking about the energy. Because if you call me up and say, hey, I heard you had a bad day today. Do you want to talk? That doesn't involve any touch. It involves this energetic support, this support of friendship. Yeah, you know, it brings to mind the idea that there, we always say, like, reach out and talk to someone. And earlier you mentioned sometimes we don't feel safe enough sharing how we feel with the people in our lives. And, you know, that's where hopefully a therapist can be there or the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK or Trevor Project, all those come into place. Um, for you to go from being a filmmaker, producer into Yoga Nidra, I realize I've been pronouncing it uh, incorrectly or wrong, but there is no wrong. See, we just learned that today. Um, what was transpiring in your life? I would imagine that there were things that came up for you uh, through your career that led you down this path of, uh, of helping people find radiant rest? Mm, that's a great question. So, you know what, I was lucky enough to find the practice of yoga and yoga nidra right at the time that my career in filmmaking um, was starting. So I had a thing that was like a foundation of understanding what was really important in life um, and what things could become obstacles in life. And when I say obstacles, I mean obstacles to, to really thriving. Like what does really thriving mean? Because when we're you know, in the Western world, we think, oh, you're thriving if you have this size house and this kind of car and this kind of this and this kind of that, that's thriving. And that's something that is aspirational that we aspire to have all of these things. And what I remember being, um, going to one of my first meetings at a producer of kind of famous producer's house. And he, this guy was very young um, and going to his house and the house was beautiful and it was big and the Hollywood Hills, the whole thing, like everything that you would imagine. And this person was the, one of the most miserable people I'd ever met. And I was like, this is not thriving. <laughs> you know, you have all the accoutrement around you, but you're not thriving. And I began to see it in different incarnations. I began to see, um, you know, working with A-list actors that, oh, this form of thriving is like a, you know, you're an A-list actor, but there's the fear that you're going, that your next movie is going to be a flop. 
And that fear is creating this thing that makes you miserable day in and day out. And it makes you do things on the set and to, to the other actors and to the directors that are all out of fear. And because I was practicing yoga and yoga philosophy and creating spaciousness to be able to kind of see my own self and how I had my own fear around things, it was easier for me to see it in us. Um, and what I began to understand was that everything was energy. And even the films that I were, was making were a form of energy. And so I'm simultaneously teaching and practicing yoga and simultaneously making action movies. And at the same time thinking, well, I'm not sure that another Steven Seagal action movie is actually going to do anything for the world. <laughs> so I really want all of my life force to go into actually helping people to understand what real true thriving means and is. And I tried at some point, once I had that realization to kind of fuse the two together and to kind of bring in, you know, philosophies and understandings and plant little seeds in films. Um, and then I just realized also that not everybody has the same uh, desire for that. And if you're making a film because it's a collaboration, right? And it's a community of people. If everyone is not on the same agenda, then it doesn't work. And so I decided to kind of transition into a place by opening my own studio where I could actually have a community of people who were interested in that same thing. Um, and then that just became so much more fulfilling than uh, making the movies with the people that I was making them with, that I started to slowly transition um, out of the filmmaking. And, you know, if the day comes along that there is uh, a project that feels like it's in alignment, that would be a different story. But at the moment, I am very much enjoying being um, with people who really want to thrive and really want to live a life of purpose. I love that. Um, I think that a lot of people are struggling because what, they, what their values are and what they're practicing are not in alignment. And I recognize that in my, in my stand-up, actually, where this quarantine... I realized like I, I used to do a bunch of like social political jokes and, and I still have some in there, but I was like, I, I don't want to have these conversations out off the stage. And it made me realize that I don't want to create anything that I don't, that I feel is separate from who I am and, and what I want my life to represent. And, and so it's made me become, or I don't want to say made me, but uh, it's made, uh, you know, I've become more aware of the need to be more um, introspective and to, to dig a little deeper into who I am and my motivations and my values so that I can communicate it uh, better on stage and through my art versus, 
letting the external dictate what I was expressing. Now my comedy is driven from an internal source versus an external source of like news and media and what's going on in the world. And I find that it's much more powerful um, uh, presenting it that way. My, go ahead. Did you, you look like you have a Yeah. Yeah. No, I was going to just say that, of course, it's more powerful because it's, first of all, it's in alignment with who you really are. It's authentic. It's your truth. It's not, it's not this dissonance happening between the truth of who you are and what you're expressing in the world and the work you're doing. And I just want to repeat really what you started with when you were talking about that is that that is what many people feel that at least a lot of the people who come to me for mentoring and coaching, it's like, I'm doing this job. I know this is not my purpose. I like, I know what my purpose is, but I'm scared to transition from this thing that is supporting me financially but not really supporting me emotionally and not really supporting me energetically. How do I bring those things together? And I love that you just gave an example of how to do that. You know, you talk about radiant rest. And one of the things I think that so many of us are struggling with, uh, I, I know, especially for me is this idea of rest, you know, because we feel like we should always be on this treadmill uh, of life so that, you know, because once again, if you're thinking competitively versus collaboratively, you think you have to have, you know, you have to do it all yourself and, and keep going. What are ways that people think that they are resting when it's not actually restful? Yeah, well, thinking that you're resting is, oh, I only need to get uh, four hours of sleep tonight. Because I'm going to go to bed, you know, at whatever, two in the morning, and then I'm going to get up because I have to crush it. And that somehow, somewhere I read that I should only have to sleep four hours a night. And there's no, you know, you're not looking at what are the things that you're consuming? You know, what time are you going to sleep? Are you actually connected to the cycles of nature? Are you waking up with the sun? Are you starting to transition your day when the sun goes down? Because we're getting signals, natural signals from the body and from nature all the time about when it's time to rest. So when you ignore those signals, um, you're not really preparing yourself to receive any kind of rest. And that can be anything from things that we all know by now, artificial light, blue light, keeping your bedroom completely dark, not drinking caffeine after a certain amount of time, after a certain time. You know, what are the things that you, when are you eating? Because if you eat right before you go to sleep, your body is digesting and it's not, probably not going to um, let you rest that well. So those are all the things that can happen. But I think the biggest way to really answer that question is to ask yourself, where am I denying myself rest? So the body gives you signals. If the body is giving you a signal and you start to feel tired, how many times do you go and run for the cup of coffee? So instead of the cup of coffee, that's going to take you probably seven minutes to go and make the coffee. 
why not just lie down and just practice diaphragmatic breathing, inhaling four counts and exhaling eight counts and just setting a timer or just kind of knowing in your mind how long seven minutes is. That's all you need. And then you can, you know, also look at how are the ways that you are distracting yourself and wasting time. So we sit here and say, oh, I'm so tired. I don't have any time to rest. But then you're spending, you know, 20 minutes on Instagram playing a game. So what's more valuable to you, another possible 10 to 15 minutes of rest or playing the game and looking at Instagram? So that is something that I would just look at to say, what distractions do I have in my day where I know I'm wasting time on things that are not productive, where I actually reclaim that time by not doing those things and instead use that time for little mini rest opportunities, whether it's five minutes, seven minutes, 15 minutes, three minutes. I love that because, you know, what I've actually practiced is I train clients uh, in the morning, then I have coaching clients in the afternoon. And you're, you're absolutely right. Taking that a five minute break in between each is so rejuvenative versus, uh, you know, being on my phone or watching TV or, or what have you. Uh, it doesn't take that long for your, for the body to feel restored to, to keep going and it's so much better because I, I used to be the person to reach for food or drinks or carbs, et cetera, thinking that I needed energy from an external source versus realizing that my body, you know, it's got enough fat on it. So it could pull from some, some of those energy sources. It got enough glucose circulating uh, up in there. And uh, so that, that idea of just like laying down, closing your eyes for a, a brief moment and focus on, on your diaphragmatic breathing. Uh, I want to talk about the breathing for a second. There's a book uh, just released called Breath. And I know for myself and a lot of people, breathing is so challenging. There's, you know, the belly breathing, there's crocodile breathing, there's diaphragmatic breathing. Can you talk to us about how we can use breath for rest? But and also perhaps how we can use breath for energy? Uh, and uh, are those the same breaths? Mm. Yeah, I mean, I'm more focused on rest. I haven't read James Nestor's book yet, but it's in my Kindle. And everyone that I know has, that's read it has been blown away by it, especially if they're not practicing. And this is like idea of breath is new to them. And even the people who are practicing yoga love it. Um, so, you know, you can just lay down. And if you are in listening now and you're sitting in a chair and as long as you're not driving, you can kind of lean back and close your eyes and just place your hands on your belly, on your low belly. And then just notice how when you breathe that the navel rises. And when the body exhales, the navel falls. And just let go of trying because your body is receiving this birthright of breath right now without you having to do anything. 
So just feel the navel rise and fall. And now just begin to feel as though you can allow the breath to become even. So you just gently begin to shape the breath so that the inhale is a four count and the exhale is a four count. So I'll count it out for you for the first two. On one, on two, on three, on four. Exhale, on one, on two, on three, on four. Inhale on one, on two, on three, on four. Exhale on one, on two, on three, on four. Just do that two more times on your own, just feeling as though you can iron out any hitches or breaks in your breathing. Now just naturally let go of the counting, but just feel the evenness still in the breath. And feel the shoulders release and the jaw release, the tongue release away from the roof of the mouth. Feel as though every exhale is an invitation to surrender into whatever it is that is supporting you right now whether it is a chair or the bed, or the floor. And as the body inhales, you feel as wherever that support is, is literally rising up to hold and cradle your body. And as the body exhales, you soften. The body gets heavier. And so there you have it with just a minute or so, you can start to reset. And you can feel that relationship with what's under you, right? And how it's rising and holding. And then you can trust to slowly let go. Tracy Stanley, that was beautiful. And you read my mind. I was like, can we do a yoga nidra during this? And you went right into it seamlessly. So thank you uh, for that moment of rest. Is there anything from your book or from your experiences that we haven't talked about that you think would be of value for people who are needing radiant rest? You know, what I would say is giving yourself permission to rest. It's all of our birthright. And the world has been constructed to really rob you of that birthright because it is continuously giving us the message that everything that we need is outside of us. And so if everything is outside of us, we have to run to grab it before the next person grabs it. Because the other lie is that there's not enough. That there is 
this pie that is only this big. And that if you, Leo, take a piece of the pie, that means there's less for me. So I have to keep going. And that's a lie. The last, universe is abundant. <laughs> yeah, go ahead. The, the last question I ask this of all my guests is always imagine there's one person who may be listening in who's on the precipice of wanting to end their life. Before you kill yourself, what would you say to them, Tracy? What I would say to them is take a moment to remember joy and laughter in your life just one time and know that that still lives inside of you. It hasn't gone anywhere. Thank you so much, Tracy Stanley. Thank you so much listeners for tuning in. I'm going to link, uh, uh, put a link to Tracy Stanley's book, Radiant Rest, uh, in the show notes. Where can people find you? They want to work. Uh, Oh, thank you for asking that. Um, you can find me at radiantrest.com. You can also find me at Tracy with two E's yoga.com and, uh, all the things are there. (laughs) Love it. Thank you so much, listeners, for tuning in. Remember, this podcast is not a substitute for you going to seek help. Uh, Call the 1-800-SUICIDE or 1-800-273-TALK. There are a number of international suicide hotline numbers in all of the show notes. You can talk. You can text. There's the Trevor Project. Um, There are domestic violence projects. There are also financial support services. Uh, listed in all of the show notes, as will be uh, Tracy's book, Radiant Rest. There'll be a link for that. Uh, You can always go to thrivewithleo.com for one-on-one coaching with yours truly. Let's get to tomorrow together. Thank you so much, Tracy. Thank you for having me, Leo. Much love.